0: Hi, this is Kobe Hockelier, and you're listening to Closings with Kobe, your weekly informational, I hope, real estate uh, finance podcast. And this is my very first episode. I'm so very excited to be here with you. Um, And uh, I want to... uh, let you know that i have uh, brand new to the world of podcasting. I've, I've not even listened to many, but uh, a good friend of mine from way back when recently started doing one of her own, and, and she's exceptional at it. And uh, it got me thinking, uh, you know, what do I have to offer to the world? And uh, after 22 years in the real estate industry, I thought maybe I could offer people some insight into what's really going on in the mortgage world, what's really going on in real estate finance. Uh, what are some of the questions that I get after... Were one of the most important questions that I get after talking to literally thousands of, of home buyers and real estate uh, agents and financial planners, tax accountants and attorneys over the course of my career, uh, which I was very lucky to start in 1998 um, in uh, a little town called West Hempstead, Long Island, where I started working for a company called Fleet Mortgage and uh, I had grown up on the East Coast, uh, born and raised in Brooklyn. And uh, that was my first real job, working for for a big bank called Fleet. And uh, I was there for a couple of years, and then uh, circumstances brought me to the Midwest, where I have uh, been for the last uh, twenty years or so, working for various big banks. Uh, I've worked at uh, mortgage brokerages. I worked at a small bank, but uh, now I'm thankfully back at one of the bigger banks in the country, where I, where I think I'm most comfortable. And. Um, very excited to share some of my knowledge with you um, and uh, very excited to share this journey Um, it's been uh, an interesting career as many of you know the mortgage industry uh, or the real estate industry in in total where it is today uh, very different from where it was when i started in 1998 and uh, it's almost like we had a uh, i've had two halves of my career Uh, the first half which went from about 1998 uh, to two thousand and seven and the second half, which is uh, two thousand and seven till about now and, and and while that time has almost been split equally in half uh, it 's been for two reasons: one, um, obviously the uh, what the media loves to call the mortgage meltdown of two thousand and seven two thousand and eight uh, the media loves uh, alliteration, and so mortgage meltdown became the term for uh, You know, the catch all term for what uh, really was a a lot of circumstances that were more complex than just mortgages melting down. Um, And so, prior to 2007, when mortgages melted down, uh, we had a very different industry. Uh, You could do a lot more things than you could now. The risks that banks took uh, were enormous compared to what uh, risks the banks are willing to take today. Um, we can get into whether or not those risks were warranted at a different time, but for now uh, what's important is that this is a very different industry today uh, than it was prior to that. And 2007 is also the year uh, where I decided to make the leap from sales strictly uh, into management. It's when I started hiring people and running teams and ultimately I became the president of a small mortgage company. And. Uh, so that uh, that year or those years 2007 2008 were, were pretty big lines of demarcation for me personally and for the mortgage industry at large um, and so a lot of you out there are, are buying a home for the first time and um, you might uh, never have known what that world was from you know in about, you know prior to 2008 you might uh, only have experienced the mortgage industry as it is today which is an industry that, while it's very healthy in terms of the numbers, in terms of the risk, um, it's also quite a headache for many home buyers um, and uh, can be very frustrating. And, and, and I see that with home buyers that I work with that are both, both first timers. Um, and especially homeowners that uh, are buying or refinancing for the second, third, fourth time, who remember what it was like to do business, uh, you know, prior to 2007, 2008. For me personally, uh, I was lucky enough to buy my first home uh, way back in 2001, uh, which was a very exciting but also a very emotional ordeal. It was it was my first home. Uh, I was I was young. I think uh, in. 2001 i was you know all of 24 years old i think um i I had just turned 24 i was still 23 and uh, the closing date uh, for my house uh, in the chicago suburbs was actually september 11th 2001 so sorry the closing date was earlier than that that was the moving date Um, so while i was trying to keep up with the news from back home uh, where my entire family was uh, in, in obvious peril, along with everyone else in the New York City area. Um, I was uh, trying to coordinate uh, getting information about my family while also moving into uh, the house that uh, I never expected to be able to buy at that age, so it was a very, very strange day. It was also uh, my brother-in-law at the time's birthday that day, so we had planned to move into the house and have a birthday celebration, and and uh, and, and uh, obviously that day um, will forever be marked in my memory and, and everyone else's of course, but uh, i 'll always remember it as both uh, the day i couldn 't find any of my family for hours and uh, the day that uh, we had moving trucks coming uh, from our apartment bringing us to our to our brand new house but that closing that uh, entire uh, episode uh, from contract to closing probably took about ten days, and it wasn 't because I was in the industry at the time that uh, that it took only 10 days. It was mostly because uh, you could do deals in 10 days back then. Um, You know, obviously, my my boss at the time was the one handling my mortgage, so I, I, you know, I had somebody that I knew very well, and um, incidentally, my boss at the time uh, is, is still my boss today, so I've, I've been lucky to work with many of the same wonderful people in my industry for the entire time um, that I've been um, in this mortgage world, and in fact, I was just uh, in the last few months in Las Vegas for a work trip, and I saw somebody that I worked with back in 1998 who I didn't even realize worked at the same company as I do now, and I got to see him, and I hadn't seen him in, in, in over 20 years, um, and it's weird seeing someone that you haven't seen in 20 years, especially when 20 years ago you were pretty much a baby. Uh, and now you're forty something years old. Um, and to see people in, in those different eras in your life is is interesting. Um, and um, Incidentally enough, also, I've uh, recently gotten an increased uh, prescription for eyewear. So being able to see people at all, I guess, is a blessing. Um, but uh, back then, so anyway, back then you could close on a house in 10 days and that's what we did and that was what enabled me to get that house because I was able to make a very aggressive offer on the home um, and uh, in order to do that, I had to promise to be able to close in 10 days. Now, closing in 10 days is uh, akin to taking a flight on a reindeer right now. I mean, you just if you told someone you could close on 10 days, you might as well tell them that you could fly in a reindeer because it would seem impossible to someone who's 24 now Uh, to be able to tell them when I was 24, I closed on a house in 10 days. It just just can't be done. Um, And uh, I know there are lenders out there that will tell you they can. And, uh, you know, believe me, theoretically, is it possible? Yes. But practically, what happens in our industry is closings take about three weeks to to 30 days on average for a purchase. If you're refinancing, it could be even longer. and so that's how I bought my first house. And, and if it was uh, in this day and age, I might not have been able to buy that house because I might not have been able to promise a quick closing in order in order to do so. Um, so that's something that's, uh, you know, the, the amount of regulation, both from uh, the bank instituting it and from the federal government placing uh, compliance laws that force lenders to do things in a more slowly, more deliberate way. The amount of paperwork that we have to produce with each loan um, is staggering. Prior to 2007, uh, for example, about 5% of a company's budget went towards compliance, uh, company's operating budget. Nowadays, uh, you're looking at 20 to 25%. Um, and if you're wondering where the increased cost of all of that extra compliance work goes, well, uh, you're paying it. If you're the buyer, uh, if you're the borrower, um, those costs are being passed down to you either in the form of a higher interest rate or in the form of uh, extra closing costs. Somebody's paying that. It's almost the same as, uh, as paying the September 11th security fee when you book an airline ticket. Um, you're, you're paying the extra cost um, that's associated with that fee, you're paying the extra costs that are associated with the extra monies that the mortgage companies have to put out in order to support um, all the compliance and documentation that the federal government wants. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about in this podcast. We're going to talk about um, what the mortgage industry is now, what it might be in the future, uh, why we can't seem to, to use strict logic and reasoning when it comes to to underwriting loans, and that's One of the biggest things that I get from customers on a regular basis is they want to know, you know, hey, I make all this money, I've given you enough paperwork, why does the underwriter want to see X, Y, and Z? What does that have to do with my life? Um, And the answer, generally, from a practical standpoint, is very little. Um, We don't underwrite in the mortgage business today based on common sense. We don't look at somebody's credit and and their down payment and say, okay, well, this person's got a a 720 credit score. Um, They've never been late on a payment in their life. They're putting 30% down on this property. Um, So therefore we don't need any more documentation because the odds of somebody with really good credit, with a really uh, good size down payment, which 30% does represent, defaulting on a home that they're going to move into um, is highly unlikely Uh, You know, and, and, and it would take a series of, of real uh, tragic circumstances in that person's life for them to uh, to have to foreclose on that home. And so the reason that uh, customers get frustrated, the reason that you might be frustrated with your last experience is because we don't do things from a common sense perspective. We do things based on um, percentages. And when I say percentages, what do I mean? I mean that uh, you know we as an industry, um, sell our mortgages to two main investors, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. I'm sure you've heard of both of these industries. These are quasi-governmental industries. Um, They're partially private, partially public. They buy all of the mortgage loans, or or not all, but most of the mortgage loans that we create in this country today, um, they buy from us once we close it. And they buy it, and what that means is that they hold on to the paper, they replenish the funds that the banks have, and the banks then are able to lend more money now through all the data from all these millions of mortgages being generated whether it's in the last 10 years 20 years 30 years um, there are certain practices policies guidelines that go into um, making sure that uh, um, the loan is underwritten totally and completely and so what we have are rules that may not make sense to the average person um, but they make sense to us, so for example, if you're, uh, you know, if, if you're self-employed, we're going to look at your, your tax returns and, 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 and we're going to do a number on them. Um, and even if you've got great credit and you've got a really good down payment uh, and you've got a business that's been sustainable and viable for many, many years, we are going to look at those and, and pretty much uh, rake through it with a very fine-toothed comb. Um, if you've made a large deposit into your bank account six weeks ago we're going to look at that and even though why would you look at that these are all of these things are based on things that the mortgage industry has learned from a risk perspective over the years that are telltale signs of whether somebody is going to default or someone's going to um, perform as the word is on their loan obligation right And, and and remember the bank is lending uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to an individual. Sometimes that individual has never lent, has never borrowed, anywhere near that amount. And so now uh, lenders are, are are forced with having to make a decision about whether to lend $300,000 to over 30 years to somebody on a house uh, with the house as security, and that person may have never borrowed more than $20,000, let's say, to buy a car. Um, and so the amount of documentation while it may seem cumbersome, and, and oftentimes I agree is, um, the basis for it is learned behaviors over time by the banks about customer behavior. Um, and, and, and and we can get into all of that a different time, but just to give you an idea of what frustrates people often, because it seems like common sense does not uh, play into things. And, and, and the truth is that common sense uh, plays in only uh, in a minor way. Underwriters only have so much Uh, personal discretion as far as what they can can and can't do in terms of uh, letting a loan go from uh, not approved to conditionally approved to final approved to closing etc etc. You know and that's uh, that's probably a good overview, I hope, of, of why the bank asks for so much and, and, and why it seems so uh, frustrating for borrowers. And, and that's one question that I get a lot. Another uh, question that I get a lot from people, um, what's what's a good down payment? You know, that's that's another question. People will often call me and say, hey, I'm looking to buy a house. Um, you know, the house is probably going to be in the $250,000 range. And I say, that's great. Congratulations. I'm looking for a home. There's no better investment. Um, what kind of down payment are you working for? What are you working with and and uh, buyers might say to me well um i'm i'm not sure what's a good down payment and uh and it's an interesting question because a good down payment is really what you can afford um and what represents the best time value of money for you so for example uh you may have uh you know if you're buying something for $200,000 uh you may have $20,000 in the bank, which represents a $10,000 down payment without closing costs, of course. And um, you may not want to put all that money down, even though a mortgage of $180,000 is going to cost you less than one hundred and ninety. dollars But if you put 10% down or 5% down instead of 10, so if you put $10,000 down instead of 20, what's the difference in mortgage payment? What's the difference um, in terms of the cash that you have left over? Uh, and I always advise people, Uh, make sure that you're not putting all of your eggs into one basket even though real estate is a fantastic basket if you can get away with a lowered down payment do that especially if it's your first time buying a home the reason being is that there are other costs associated with buying a home that you may not expect right there's um, closing costs associated and you have to talk to your lender in the state that you're in about what those closing costs are generally those are one to two percent of the purchase price of the home Um, The other thing that you may consider is, uh, you know, are you gonna need more furniture? If you're moving from a two bedroom apartment to a three bedroom home, chances are you're increasing your living space uh, two or three fold. Are you gonna need money to furnish it? Are you gonna need money to paint the walls the color that you like? You might not have had that option moving into your apartment that you were renting, but are you're buying a home, uh, you can paint it whatever color you like. Uh, are you gonna need a lawnmower? That's something you may not have had. Um, I, uh, one of the houses I moved into or bought in my life in, in 2014, I bought a house in the suburbs when my, my littlest uh, daughter was uh, recently born, and that house was on three acres of land. Um, and uh, at that point, I had never owned a parcel that was bigger than a quarter acre. And so I was forced to buy not only a lawn mower, but a riding mower. And that was an expense that was, uh, I want to say, somewhere between $1,500 and $2,000 um, to buy that riding mower. And, and that wasn't an extravagance, it was a necessity, because otherwise it, w- it would have meant paying a gardener um, about that much every season just to mow the lawn. And so it wasn't real good, uh, it wasn't a real good option to pay somebody to do it. Uh, The much better option was for me to buy it. And I had to factor that in when I considered all the money I had to put down on the house. Uh, And so you may be faced with those things too. And you may um, be moving out to the suburbs and all of a sudden uh, from the city and all of a sudden you need two cars and not just one anymore. So all of those are questions that you need to consider when when considering what a good down payment is. The, The down payment amount that you put down doesn't affect the bank's decision, generally speaking. So in other words, we're not going to look at a 5% down payment differently than a 10% down payment or a 20% down payment if all other things are equal and everything works out the way it should in terms of your debt to income ratio, your credit, and we'll get into all of these things in future podcasts. But uh, if you... um, qualify for the loan, it doesn't matter to the bank if you're putting 5%, 10%, or 20% down, as long as you're within the bank guidelines. So my answer is generally to people, put down what you feel comfortable with, make sure you leave yourself some money in the bank, because the last thing you want to do is move into a house and be what's called house poor, right? All of a sudden, you can't afford, you know, the couch you need for the family room, and you can't afford the lawnmower you need for the three acres, um, and you can't afford um, to pay Uh, The guy to come, and one of the things we had to do on the three acres was pay a company to come and spray for mosquitoes every few weeks, and that was an expense. You want to be able to move in there and be comfortable, especially if you worked hard to save up the money to do it. Um, So, those are you know just a couple of things that uh, you know to consider when considering what a good down payment is on your home. The other thing um, that you want to consider. Obviously working with a fantastic real estate agent makes a huge difference in terms of helping you manage the entire transaction from A to Z. Um, most people do work with realtors, so I don't find that's something we need to go into uh, too long, but coming up in future broadcasts, we are gonna to talk to realtors about uh, what they see are the pitfalls that buyers get themselves into some of the best practices and so the goal of all this is to uh, try to educate you to answer your questions to make sure that you're prepared to buy a home to make sure that you understand really what the what the investment is because buying a home you know while everyone talks about how it's the best investment you can make and i happen to agree with it especially you know getting a 30-year fixed payment and that payment diminishes in size because of inflation over time um, but uh, really, it's more than an investment because it's, it's, it's where you're going to lay your head to sleep every night for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years and beyond. Um, and so you really have to know how to prepare yourself for that. Um, from an onset perspective, from how do I get into the house and what's the amount of initial money I need to what am I going to need moving forward and how am I going to handle that? and So we'll talk to a lot of people in the upcoming episodes about uh, what all of that means and hope to answer your questions. And so um, this uh, concludes our first episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we look forward to seeing you out there real soon. Take care.